Uh, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning, if you would, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 58. Isaiah 58, uh, and then we're going to go to a couple of other, uh, actually a number of verses of Scripture this morning, and I want to preach a message entitled, Here I Am. Here I Am. I know that oftentimes we hear that, and immediately when you hear those words, uh, who do you think of? Anybody? Samuel. Good one. Samuel. I think of Isaiah. Samuel was one where three times he heard a voice. He went into Eli the priest saying, here I am. Eli says, I didn't call you. Finally, the last time he said to him, go back and when you hear that voice again, say, here I am, Lord, speak to me. And we also get into the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah in Isaiah 6 had an encounter with the Lord. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. But often I hear, and I hear those words, and I immediately think of Isaiah, and yet these words are some of the most important words in the Bible. Now, I, I realize you could say, well, you know, these three little words, here I am, that certainly can... You know, those aren't the most important. And sure, I, I agree that that might be the case. God is love or Jesus is Lord. We can find a number of, of little phrases and short sentences in the Bible made up of three words. And certainly we can find a great significance in them. And yet these words carry such importance in Scripture. When we look at the Bible, and obviously we, I had you answer back, some of you think of Samuel, I think of Isaiah, just because the, that is often the passage, those are the passages we go to. But those words are important not only because we find them in Isaiah and we find them in 1 Samuel, those words are important because of who said them. And I brought you to Isaiah 58 and verse 9. So that you can see first of first importance who spoke them and what it is that we can learn from it. The Bible says this, Isaiah 58 and verse 9. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. I don't know about you, but when I look at this verse of Scripture and I, I see the times in our lives, and this morning we prayed for prayer requests. We prayed for situations and for people that, that the Lord would touch them in the hour of their grief, in the hour of their pain and their sufferings. And anytime we pray, we come together on Tuesday night to call on the name of the Lord and we reach out to the Lord and we say, Lord, we need you. We're, we're crying out to you, and oftentimes we have the idea that God is, is somewhere out there and that we're praying and we're believing that our voices are reaching where he is. But can I just, can you just envision this for a moment? Have you ever, I don't know if you have ever done this in your house, in our house, we kind of make fun of each other when it happens, and it's, it's one of those things where we think one of the, the people in the other house, in the other part of the, or is in another part of the house. Sometimes I'll think my wife is, you know, far in the other end of the house. And, and so I'll say, you know, I'll cry out to her. I'll say, honey, where are you, honey? And all of a sudden I realize she's right there. And so immediately she's standing right there and she goes, what? You know, they're right there. We didn't know it. But I get the picture when you read this. There's this mental picture, at least, that came into my mind that oftentimes we're crying out to God. We're reaching out to God. We're saying, God, you're going to do this for me. And God appears from around the corner and says, here I am. I'm not far. The Bible says that he is not far from any one of us who calls on him. 
This is why we pray. This is why we call on the Lord. Don't think of God being some in some far distant place when you cry out to him. He is right there. He has said, here I am. Listen to what Isaiah says again. He says, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he'll say, here am I. I'm right here. Listen, brothers and sisters, we oftentimes we go through difficulties and such such strenuous things in life and we we believe we you know we just want to have somebody who's walking with us who's there to help us who is right there with us and yet all the while in scripture when you read from the very beginning to the very ending God is saying to his people he is saying I'm here with you I'm here to help you. I haven't bailed out on you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We know those words. But can you get this picture in your mind just for a moment that in Genesis chapter 1, it was the ultimate uh, declaration of God saying, here I am. In the beginning, God. It all starts with him. It all goes back to that. God declared in the very beginning, That he was there. That he was present. And I'm here to let you know that God has not disappeared. He is not, as the deists would say, the ultimate watchmaker, the clockmaker, where you you design it, you make it, you set it in motion, and then you stand back and let let it go. No, that's not how God is. God is right here. He is with you every moment of every day. And he is here to help you and to strengthen you no matter what it is that you're going through. He says, you will call and the Lord will answer. How many of you are looking for an answer this morning? I know I am. We need an answer from the Lord. We need God to move. But the Bible says that he will answer. You will cry for help and he'll say, here I am. I'm right here. I haven't, I haven't left. You might think I'm far away. Go ahead and cry because that's all right. This poor man cried to the Lord. We can cry out to God. But nonetheless, the Bible lets us know that he is there. You see, when God says, here I am, he is proclaiming three things. First, he is proclaiming pardon. This is the most important thing in all of Scripture. You see, you might say, well, it's important for me to say, here I am to the Lord. But you can't actually say that until you come to the place where you recognize the fact that when he says, here I am, this is going to bring salvation to your life. His presence means salvation. Psalm 42 and verse 5. Psalm 42 and verse 5. The Bible says this. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? David's having a little bit of a conversation with himself. Psalm 42 and verse 5. Asking himself some questions. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Now he's going to reveal to himself the solution. Put your hope in God, for yet, I will yet praise him. Put your hope in God. His very presence indicates that he will bring salvation to you, that he will show up to give you what you need. Now, many times we think that, you know, we're just too bad. You've had maybe people that you've talked to about the Lord, and they say, you know, I'm just too bad for God. I, God can't forgive me. I'm, I'm, I'm too far out. And there isn't anybody that God cannot forgive. You need to know today that his presence, when he proclaims, here I am, he is proclaiming pardon. He is proclaiming salvation. He is proclaiming that men and women can come into a right relationship with him simply because he has declared, here am I. Not only does it proclaim pardon, but here am I indicates also that he is proclaiming power. His power is often revealed in two very basic ways. It's revealed through his guidance. Listen to what the Bible says. You don't need to turn there, but listen to what it says. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, 
The Bible says, I am the light of the world. Light obviously helps us to know where we're going. Without it, you bump into things. Whoever follows me, listen to what he says, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He proclaims his power through his guidance. Remember, the Bible says this about the people of Israel when they were coming out of the land of Egypt, that, the, that God guided them and led them in the daytime by a, by a cloud. This, this, this cloud that seemed to move from place to place. But at night, when they were moving at night, that cloud changed to a pillar of fire. God says, I'm leading you, I'm guiding you, but fire is not just to help you see. Fire is a powerful thing. So the fact that he says, I'm here, and I'm going to show you I'm here, not by just some, you know, am, am, uh, some kind of light in the middle of, of the desert, I'm going to show you by fire, a pillar of fire, but that pillar of fire is going to guide you. As I want you to move, it's going to show you, and it's going to show you how powerful I am, but that you need to move with me. And many times, brothers and sisters, we think of the guidance of the Lord as being so far away from his power. No, I'm here to let you know that it is a sign of his power. It is his greatness that he leads us and he guides us. Not only proclaiming his power in this way of his guidance, but also his grace. His grace was given to Joshua, causing him to have courage when maybe in a moment where it looked like he would like to maybe step back and say, I'm not so sure that I'm ready to follow in Moses' footsteps. But remember in Joshua chapter 1, God showed up to him and said, be strong and of good courage. God did that for Joshua because Joshua needed to be courageous in what it was that he was about to face. He was going into something that Moses never encountered. He was going to have to take possession of the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All the way back, going back into that time when they lived. He was going to now take possession of that land. He had to be courageous. And God comes to give his grace so that you and I will be courageous in the face of whatever it is that we are dealing with in our lives. You might be staring at something this morning morning that will cause you to fear but I'm here to let you know that the grace of God says you can stare that thing down and you can be courageous and you can walk into the thing that God wants you to walk into and you can take possession of the blessing of God in your life you can grab a hold of it because God's grace is greater than anything when he shows up and says here I am his grace comes along with it not only did it work for Joshua, but you remember the story of Gideon. Gideon was one of those guys who just, you know, I mean, he was, he was barely surviving. The Midianites had wiped out the land of Israel. They had come in and they were, you know, it was during the time of the judges after Joshua had, had died and Caleb had died. And, and now Israel just went through these whole cycles of, of you know, they would repent and God would deliver them, and then they'd go into sin. They'd worship other idols, and God would have to deliver them into the hands of a foreign nation around them where they would be subject to them. And, and the Midianites had wiped the people out. They had stolen their crops. They had taken everything from them. And the Bible says about Gideon that he was threshing wheat in a wine press. He was hiding what little meager food he could eke out in that moment. And yet in that surrounding, in that situation, what does God do? He says, here I am. He showed up to Gideon and said, Gideon, I've got something really, really important for you to do. And guess what? By the way, you might be out here playing chicken, but I see something better on the inside of you. I see something greater on the inside of you. You might be afraid, but I see a mighty man of valor. I see somebody who is able to stand his ground even when the world is against you. I see something different than what it is that you're doing today. And I'm 
I'm here to let you know when God shows up, he shows up to invest something in you and reveal what's on the inside that he has placed in you to help you to be what God wants you to be. God gave Gideon success, and he'll give you success too. Not only does he proclaim his pardon, his power, but it also proclaims his peace. Peace is still being sought by so many people. There are so many nations that are crying out for peace. In a world that is so turbulent, in a world that's in such turmoil, and it goes to individuals as well. It's it, it, people out on the street. You know, when you think about what it is that people try to do when they go to their parties and they, you know, they, they just get wasted beyond recognition and they, they do all of these things, what it is that they're really trying to do. They're really trying to drown out the, the emptiness and the sorrow and the pain on the inside of their lives. What's really eating at them, they won't tell you that, but there is something on the inside of them that isn't right. And they're just trying to pour something in to numb the pain and numb all the things that they are worried about and all the troubles of life. They are going after something because on the inside there's an emptiness. See... The Bible lets us know that he is the Prince of Peace. You see, Jesus didn't just show up to bring salvation. No, salvation is not complete until you have peace. He, he brought along his peace, not only his grace to save you, but now he gives you the peace to be able to face any trial, any difficulty. And it comes through two important things. It comes, first of all, through companionship. Listen to what the Bible says in John chapter 16 and verse 33. This is so important. John 16 and verse 33. It says this, in me, in me, you may have peace. In me, you may have peace. In Matthew 28 verse 20. The Bible says this, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If there is, there is a verse of scripture that should bring peace to our hearts, it should be this one. Matthew 28 and verse 20, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That companionship that we have with God brings about a peace in our lives God says, here I am. I've showed up. That's, in, in essence, what Jesus has said. Jesus came to this earth. He lived on, uh, on this earth. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And, and at different points, he says, in me. That is, here I am. I've showed up so that you can have life. You can have peace. You can have this closeness in this relationship with me that will bring about a hope in your life. The Bible says this, you don't need to turn there, but listen to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You have hope today, not just in this life, but also in the next. Now, I know that most of us don't, we don't think about the next because we're in this life. And, and quite frankly, we're enjoying life. I, I remember as a kid hearing people, I just, you know, I just want to go to heaven. And I want to go to heaven, just not right now. Now, if the Lord chooses, that's fine. I know where I'm headed. But in the moment, I'm enjoying life. You say, well, wait a minute. I'm not so sure that we should have that kind of view. No, listen, God put us on this earth for a reason, for a purpose. He's got a plan for our lives. Now, when God shows up and says, okay, now my plan is for you to not have this life anymore, we have the hope of glory. And I'm here to let you know that will be better because that will be paradise. All the pain, all the suffering, all the tears, all the crying, all the weeping, all that's gone. But I'm here to let you know that what God gives us is he gives us hope in this life and hope for the next. Now, the first here I am was spoken by God. That's where it all starts. That's the most important here I am you could ever find in the Bible. But what comes next? Well, 
The here I am that was spoken next was spoken by man. This is also important because this second one was spoken to God. The last one that we're going to talk about was also spoken by man, but it was spoken for God. Now, this is where God takes us from him showing up, bringing hope, bringing salvation, bringing life, and finally it ends up and will end up with our producing something for the kingdom, being productive for the kingdom. But we can't do that unless we do this. We speak it to God. Listen, turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. The Bible says this. Genesis 22 and verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. That is, Abraham replied. The second here I am wasn't spoken by God, but it was spoken by mankind. Now, not all men respond in this way. Remember Adam? What Adam did? Adam and Eve, when they gave in to sin, when they gave in to temptation, and they sinned against God, the Bible says that they hid themselves, and they could hear God in the cool of the day coming down and speaking to them. God says, Adam, where are you? And Adam did not say, here I am. God had to go find him. Not too difficult for God to do, but that's what he made him do. Not everybody responds with a, here I am. When God calls you, not everybody responds. And many times we, we struggle with this. We say, well, if I can just get my coworker to come to church, which we ought to be attempting to do, or if I can get my neighbor to come to church, which we should be trying to do, if I can just get my family member to come to church, which we should be trying to do, then they'll hear the gospel and they'll respond and they'll give their life to Christ and it'll be a wonderful experience. And maybe it is that you, take the time to invite them and maybe you bring them to church or they come and they hear the gospel and you're just you know I, I know how it is At the end of the meeting you're just like praying under you know under your breath and, dear God you know get them Holy Spirit just do something in them just save them right now and the altar call is given and and the, the appeal is made and they don't move a muscle I don't understand. I prayed. I had faith. Not every man or woman responds to God in this way. But we need to pray and continually pray that God would continue to do that and do a work in their hearts so they can be like Abraham. When God spoke to Abraham, Abraham said, here I am. When God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and called him out of the nation that he was in and said, I'm going to tell you where it is you're going to go, but I'm not going to reveal it right now. I'm just, you go, I'll give you directions along the way. I'll be your GPS. I'll get you there. But in the meantime, you just obey me, you do it. And he said, sure enough, Lord, here I am. And now here we are sometime later, God shows up and says, Abraham, and he says, here I am. I am coming to you, Lord. I want what it is that you have for me right now. I am going to listen to you. You see, when man says, here I am, it is an indication of three things. First, it is an indication of surrender. And it's surrender to the will of God. This is one of the most difficult things that we have to do in our own humanity. Because in all honesty, human pride says don't surrender to anybody or anything. Human pride says you do your own thing. You be your own man. Be your own woman. And you just go through life and you do what you want to do. But when we say, here I am to the Lord, we are saying, Lord, I am coming to you to surrender to you. We, we were practicing a, a, a song earlier, a hymn, all to Jesus, I surrender. 
I was almost ready to rip that off from you, but I have in mind that you want to do that at some point, so I'm not going to do that to you, Julian. But that just, I, I said, yes, that's it. We've got to surrender to the will of God. When we come to God and we say, Lord, here I am, we're saying, Lord, I want you to do in me what it is that you desire to do in me. Listen, he wants to do something great in you that you cannot accomplish for yourself. You see, when God looks at the potential in us, he's not looking at what you can do. It's, he is looking at what he can accomplish through you. It's are you willing to say yes to him? Are you willing to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. I'm going to give every part of my heart to you. It, at times, it means literally when we surrender, letting go. What do we mean by that? Well, you don't, well you're, since you're in Genesis, you might as well just go there with me. Genesis chapter 31, verse 11. Go there because we're going to talk about Jacob just for a moment. Then we're going to go over to Genesis 46 as well. A couple of places that Jacob had to let go. There were a couple of experiences, a couple of times that he had to let go. And he had to say, here I am. The angel of the Lord, the Bible says 30, in chapter 31, verse 11, the angel of the Lord of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I answered here I am. Here I am. Now, go over to 46 and verse 2. Genesis chapter 46 and verse 2. And God spoke to Israel, that is Jacob, his name was changed, in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Notice what he says. Here I am, he replied. Each time in those chapters, those two verses, that Jacob says, here I am, Jacob had to let go of the place where he was and he had to trust that God would take care of him. And so often we come to places in our lives and we think, you know, I can't let go of this situation or I can't let go of this place and trust God. But we have to in order for God to do something in us and through us, we need to let go of certain things of our in our lives. Many times surrender means letting go of our own desires, our own plans, so we can effectively follow God's plan better. Sometimes we have to scrap our own mission and we have to go with God's mission. And it, it takes surrender. It takes Lord saying, Lord, here I am. That's exactly what Jacob had to do in these situations. In the context, the greater context of these chapters, God was getting him to let go of where he was so he could take him on to something better and something greater. Now, it sounds like it's in, uh, in opposition and a contradiction, but not only does it mean letting go, it also means laying hold. You see, that's the wonderful thing about God. When he comes and he says, I want to cleanse you of sin, he's saying, reject sin so that now you can lay hold of me. And that's how God works. God wants you to let go of some things so you can lay hold of some other things. Listen to what the Bible says. Again, Jacob, back over in chapter 32. Just head left. Back over in chapter 32 and verse 26. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. Now I want you to see Jacob. Jacob has had to let go at different points, but now Jacob is going to lay hold of something. Jacob says this, but Jacob replied, I will not let go unless you bless me. Jacob said, I want the blessing. I want to lay hold of the blessing that is eternal. I want to lay hold of something that is beyond me and bigger than me. I want to lay hold of that which God wants me to lay hold of. What did Paul say? He said, I'm pressing toward the mark. That I might, I might move higher and, and into greater things to lay hold of that purpose for which God laid hold of me. I want to lay hold of something that is 
greater, that is of eternal value. Listen, this world is passing away. we got to lay hold. When we're surrendering to God, we're surrendering to eternal things to lay hold of that which is eternal. Not only when we say, here I am to God, is it an indication of surrender, but also it's an indication of service. And that is not only that we surrender to the will of God, but we are willing to serve in the will of God. Listen to what the Bible says. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, that is Moses going over to that burning bush, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. There has to be a willingness to go toward the presence of the Lord. There has to be a willingness when God is, and God was calling him to a life of service. We know what the conversation that went after this. Moses wasn't so sure that God had the right guy for the job. He was not so sure that God had made the wisest of choices. We know how it goes. But there was a willingness in his heart eventually to turn around and to do what God had called him to do in service to the Lord. Not only does it indicate a willingness, but also a preparedness. You see, these words are here I am. Not there I am. Here I am. This seems to indicate that God is interested in using you right now, right where you're at. You know, most of us have in mind what it is that God, you know, we think God wants us to do years down the road. That's how I used to think. I used to think when I was in Bible college, I was thinking about where I would be, where I would go. And uh, just to be honest with you, I never dreamed I would be in Chicago. I'm a New Englander, folks. I'm not a Midwesterner. I wasn't born here. I wasn't raised here. The only thing I had heard of, of Chicago when I was on the East Coast was Michael Jordan. For me, Chicago was Michael. Michael was Chicago. That was it. I knew nothing else. There was, there was, this was the furthest place, the first, furthest thought from my mind. I was thinking about other things. And, and it was always somehow seemingly as we're thinking about the will of God and preparing for what God wants us to do, we're thinking about the future. When I look at Scripture, it is God wants to use us now where we are. So often we're, we think we're preparing for the future and some great thing that's down the road. And really what God is looking for is he's looking for us to be faithful in the little things. He's looking for us to be in the here and the now so that he can use you for wherever you are in whatever it is that you're doing. And I realize that sometimes we think that whatever it is that we're doing is so mundane, it's so minute that, you know, certainly God can't be interested in that. No, God is, is absolutely interested in that. He's not interested in the over there. It is here I am. Right now, I'm prepared. I'm ready. I'm ready to roll, Lord. Whatever it is you have for me, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it. Amen. We've got to be ready. Amen. There is, I believe, in this preparedness, not only it leads us finally to this one place of satisfaction. And a satisfaction with the will of God. We had the service. We had the surrender. When we say, here I am to God, but there has to be a satisfaction with the will of God. Satisfaction with God's will comes when we understand two very important things, and it is first possession. David said these words, I, simply, I am his. He owns me. We might think, well, God is mine. Yes, he is. But more importantly, you need to be his. He owns you today. He wants to use you, but we cannot come to the place where he can use us until we understand that we are his. It's, it's like the old hymn, I am thine, O Lord. I don't remember the rest of the words, but that's the most important part. I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice. 
Anybody else remember that? It's such a wonderful, powerful hymn. But I am thine. I'm yours, Lord. And brothers and sisters, we have to recognize today that ownership You are not your own, the Bible lets us know. You were bought with a price. He paid a dear, dear price for your soul. And now today we need to say to the Lord, Lord, I am yours. Whatever God wants me to do and whatever he wants to do with me, he can do because I am his. We have to remember that satisfaction also indicates obedience. Jesus had to even cross this road. Remember what he said in the garden as he was praying right before he was betrayed, right before he was about to go to the cross, and as he prayed and as he agonized, as it was that he he understood all of the implications that theologians are still trying to figure out of of him as the God-man, both fully God and fully human, both fully uh, a fully human and fully divine, how it was that he was to approach the cross and all of the significance of what was going on at the cross or would go on when all of the sin of the world would be heaped upon him in that moment think about that we we try to try to understand what was going through his heart and what was going to take place in that moment and even then we fall just a little bit short but here he is agonizing over all of that that is going to take place but he says these important words yet not as i will but as you will Often, brothers and sisters, we come to the place of obedience in the word of God or in the will of God. And and somehow we look at it and we say, God, that's too hard. Nothing could be harder than what Jesus had to face that night. Nothing could be harder than what it was that he was going to go through. Not only as a human being, but also as someone who was God as well. Imagine that. And yet in all of that, Jesus said, it's not what I'm going to will. But Lord, let your will be done. I'm going to follow your plan, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, no matter what people say, no matter what people do. He is our supreme example. It's not my will, it's your will. And we have the final here I am. And we can't get to this one unless we have come through this first one. Where we've said, here I am to the Lord. We've come to a place of salvation by faith. But God didn't save you for nothing. God didn't save you so that you could just sit in a pew. God didn't save you so you could attend Praise Tabernacle and say, I'm part of that local assembly. God didn't save you just so you could belong to a group of people. He saved you for something greater, something more wonderful and something more powerful. And this is where we see the last here I am. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. This last one was also spoken by a man. But this is where God had in mind that he wanted to do something with the man. You see, God is not interested in hurting anybody. He's not interested in your life being miserable. God is interested in using you for his kingdom. And this is exactly what we find in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. The Bible says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Imagine, this always strikes me every time I read this this passage of scripture in Isaiah 6, that you have the Lord who is all-powerful and almighty asking mankind for his assistance. Asking man to do something for him. And yet, this is the wonderful plan of God. You see, God didn't lay his hand on you just to save you from sin. He laid his hand on you so that now you could be the light of the world. That that the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 says, You are the light of the world. And, and, and I believe that as we bring the gospel to those who are lost, it is as if we are saying, here I am, send me, send me, Lord. God had a plan for Isaiah, and it wasn't so that Isaiah could sit there in chapter 6 and say, whoo, I had a powerful experience from God. 
So often ministries are even built around this concept. That we have people flocking to conferences to hear the, the powerful experience that somebody had in the presence of God and hoping to somehow in that conference recreate the situation. Look, folks, it wasn't for them to have a conference. It was for them to go out and be effective in the kingdom of God and to be a light to a world that is still lost and still hopeless and still darkened by sin. We've got Christians flocking to all of these places. And rather than asking, Lord, how can I be effective in the kingdom? They're saying, what kind of power can I have so that I can have those, those big giant goosebumps? Not the little ones, the big giant ones. Forgive me for being a little bit just <laughs> not nice. But, you know, God didn't call us to that. God called us to be a, a light to a lost and a darkened world. I look around in this room this morning. Listen, this is a big city. This is number two in the nation, I believe. Number two, three. Three. We're now third. We're behind L.A. All right. We got some work to do. More people move to Chicago. Oh, God, Lord. No, no. It's already crowded as it is. But we have so, there's so many people in the city who need to be one to Christ, who need to know the love that he has for us. And the question is, are we willing to go from saying, here I am to God and saying, Lord, here I am for you. I want to be used by you. I want to be effective in your kingdom. I want to win souls to Christ. And I believe that it's not just the job of the pastor to be a soul winner. It is the job of every believer, those who profess to know Jesus Christ, it is our responsibility. It is our duty to say, Lord, I'm a follower of you. I want to proclaim you. Yeah. He said, here I am. Send me. What motivates service? Well, first of all, what motivates it is loyalty. Listen to what the Bible says. Service for others is for Christ's sake. We have to be loyal to him, even when it seems like, you know, the world around us, they're, they're cantankerous, they're antagonistic, they, they try to get under your skin. They have no tolerance for Christianity, even though their main message these days is tolerance for everybody except, you know, those who profess to know Christ. Listen to what the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 7. It says, serve the Lord, or serve wholeheartedly. As if you were serving the Lord, not men. Now, Paul is indicating here that when you go to your job and you are faced with a boss who is trying to get under your skin or is making demands of you that you don't like, the Bible says here, don't serve that person, but serve wholeheartedly as if God had just showed up and asked you, I'd like you to do this particular project. That's what it says. Serve wholeheartedly. What motivates it is loyalty, not to necessarily to that other human being standing in front of you. It is loyalty to the Lord. There are people who are lost and outside of Christ, and they will, they will do everything possible that they can to make you think they couldn't care less about God or anything else. What are we to do? Many times we cower in a corner and say, I can't be used by God. But that's not what the Word of God is telling us. It's telling us to serve the Lord, to follow through with here I am, send me, and do it wholeheartedly and do it with great loyalty to the Lord. Not only is loyalty so important in what motivates service, but also there is love. It is love for Jesus. What did Jesus ask Peter? After Peter had denied him three times, after Jesus rose from the grave, and they're out on the beach by the Sea of Galilee, and, you know, Jesus kind of, come on, Peter, let's go. Let's have a talk. I don't know if Peter in the back of his mind thinks, man, here, it's come, here it comes. Ah, failed big time, and now I'm going to get it. All Jesus said was, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord. What did he say? Feed my sheep. Those few little words right there indicated that Jesus had a plan for him, that his plan was to go out into a lost and a dying world 
and to be what God wanted him to be and what God saw in the heart of this man. God had a great plan for Peter and there was that great love. And he says, oh yes, I love you, Lord. And my love for you is going to help me to do what it is that you have called me to do. And certainly we see that in Acts chapter 2. It was Peter who stood up and preached that first sermon after the power of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the apostles. And then Peter again at Cornelius' house had the invitation to come. Peter was the one who opened up the keys to the kingdom, to the, to the Gentile world, and preached that first sermon to the Gentiles on that day, those who, who were non-Jews, and he preached, and there, were, there, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit there as they believed the, the word that was heard. The power of the Spirit came down. God has something in store, but it's, brothers and sisters, we got to come to the place where we say, Lord, if my love for you has grown stagnant, then Lord, let me come to the place where I say, I will love you even more. Not only that, it is love for others. This is where it gets tough. It's easy for us to love the Lord. You know, he's done so much for us. But what about the dude out on the street? You know, the guy who walks by and, you know, just got a filthy mouth, talking on the cell phone, doesn't care what's going on, bumps into you, doesn't say excuse me, you know, throws down a lit cigarette and it lands on your leg and it burns your pant leg. And, and this has not happened to me. I'm just, <laughs> indulge me for a minute. I say, Pastor, that happened to you? Well, don't you see the burn right here? No. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You, you know that I'm, I'm talking about people who, who have no love in their hearts for anybody else, no concern. And certainly we are living in a time where the concern for others is, is, is and the Bible says in the last days, love of many will grow cold. And that certainly is happening right in front of our very eyes. And yet the Bible indicates that we have to love others. Galatians 5 and verse 13 says, serve one another in love. And I know Paul is talking to Christians at this point, and so we can apply that to the body of Christ, but it's not just our duty to love one another in the body of Christ, but to love those who the world says, we don't care if you love us or not. We're still supposed to love, even when they don't tolerate you in your faith. You still need to love. We need to love them the way that Jesus loved. What did Jesus do? He came to this earth and he had people who hated him, who crucified him, and yet he still loved. That is where we take our cue. So we have loyalty, love that motivates service, and one final thing, labor. Good old-fashioned elbow grease. You know, you, gotta, you just got to put some effort into it. Not only for the kingdom of God and what it is that God has called you to do, but just on a daily basis that we labor for those around us in a manner that is motivated by his love. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. We need to work for the good of others. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 15. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have. And Paul says, not just am I going to spend everything I have for you, I'm going to expend myself as well. This is not just, you know, sometimes it's easy to pull out a buck or two. You know, kind of hand it to somebody here. Or it's easy to just throw that in the offering and say, there, I did my Christian duty. But Paul is talking about something that goes beyond the idea of spending and he goes into the area of expending yourself. That is giving of yourself, giving of your time, giving of your effort, being available to what it is that God wants you to do, being available to the need of the moment. You say, well, you know, that's really not my particular ministry. And yet you would be surprised at what your ministry might end up being if you would be available. And everybody could say just to... Yeah, a little quiet one would be okay. Amen. Let me expend myself. Let me be available to do what God has called me to do. You would be surprised what, what hidden talents lie buried deep within your life. I will expend, 
Paul says, myself. We've got to work not only for the good of others, but work for Christ. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 24 says this. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You see, when we do anything for the Lord, we had a, a, a small army of people here a couple of Saturdays ago cleaning this building. And they showed up to do work. Now, I realize, you know, we put that in the bulletin and we had a sign up for people to come. And somehow we can begin to equate some of these non-spiritual things as being, you know, not at all something we're doing for the Lord. We're doing because the pastor asked us to and he thinks the building is extra dirty or, you know, it just, yeah, I mean, Bobby cleans the building, but he, I mean, he's one man. You know, one man can only do so much in a couple of hours in the morning. Besides, he just got off work. He hasn't slept yet. He comes to the church. He helps clean. And there's only so much that one person can do. So we have a small army from time to time to attack the building. And somehow we think that it's just, you know, it's just because the pastor asked us to do it. I'm serving the pastor. Oh, no, 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 no. No, please, don't begin to think that because you all start to hate me. Not that I'm worried about that. But I, I, you know, we don't need that. And that's not the perspective that we need to have. That's what Paul is saying. He says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. With the mundane things, with the little things. And when it comes to some of these things that we're doing, we're not serving others when we do that. We're serving the Lord. It's about what God has done and about what we want to do for him. And it's not just all in the prayer meeting and laying hands on somebody and a word of encouragement from the scripture. Sometimes it's the small things, the little things. And people have seen the garbage outside from time to time. I haven't said anything. And sure enough, somebody's out there. They're picking up garbage with a garbage bag. And they're just people seem to find that it's our, their personal dumping grounds for garbage out here in the front of late. And I don't know why, but it gets picked up. And, and it gets picked up without anybody saying anything. Why? Because there are people who understand that it is the Lord that we are serving. You see, it goes from the very spiritual moments of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ effectively to somebody who needs to know it down to the very small little things. But in the end, it's all for him. And what we need to say is, here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment?